Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to see everyone here today. I want to just kind of take a poll for just a second because I, I've noticed an interesting sort of split in our culture right now. I want you to, I, I want to ask you, and I want you to be honest. Do you think of this weekend more as Super Bowl weekend or Valentine's weekend? Now, I'm not going to make you raise your hand, but I want you to ask yourself, which side of that line do you fall on? Are you more, are you more Super Bowl weekend or Valentine's weekend? And again, no value judgments, anything like that. I, I have noticed now a few men putting their arms around their wife saying, yes, dear, it's Valentine's weekend. <laughs> Game time's in just a little while, though. So, you know, it, it's, it's interesting as I've thought about that. I, I've noticed that there really are these, these two sort of camps, not only in, within personal circles, but there are also these two camps in advertising, and, and it's just funny to see how that split works. I want to talk for a moment about Valentine's Day because I want to just talk about something that has been critical to my life for the past 31 years. For the last 31 years, I've been in a relationship with Morgan Warner Fuller. She is my wife and has been my wife for 28 years. For three years before that, we dated and I want to say that, that throughout that time, over the span of those 31 years, Morgan has been, has been a rock, a friend, has been a, an, an enabler, a protector, an encourager, all of these wonderful things. But I want to say this, one of the best things about having Morgan in my life is that over that 28 years of marriage and 31 years that we've been together, she has been like my spotter. You know what a spotter is, like in gymnastics? That's the person who's watching you do the tricks, catching you in case you fall, making sure you don't break every bone in your body. Morgan, for the last 31 years, has been like my spotter in that she has been there to advise me, to catch me, and to keep me from making some of the biggest, most ridiculous mistakes in my life. Now, I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying. Every wise decision that I've, ever, that I've ever made, Morgan has influenced. Every dumb decision I've ever made has been purely my own. And as I look at it today, I think how important is it over the course of our lives that we have people that we trust, that we have a person in our lives that we trust who is there not just for the romantic part, but is there for the day the day-to-day -day stuff, the mess, the stress, the mud, the blood, all that kind of stuff to help us live our lives wisely, to help us live our lives in such a way that we're not only not a danger to ourselves and others, but also so that we are giving glory to God with each moment. Because as I think about it, there are lots of mistakes that I could have made without Morgan, and there are lots of mistakes I did make without her. But what are some of the mistakes that you've made in the past that you don't want to repeat? You know, and how can you avoid making those mistakes in the future? Rick Warren once said that a wise man learns from his mistakes, but a wiser man learns from the mistakes of others. I think that's true. So there are all kinds of questions that, that might be coming to your mind right now, but, but these kinds of questions, what are the mi mistakes that you've made and how can you avoid making them in the future? Those are the kinds of questions with which the author of Hebrews was wrestling in our passage for today. 
So as we continue our study of the book of Hebrews, let's turn to chapter 3, beginning in verse 7. I'll just begin reading. If you would follow with me on the screens or in your bulletin or in your own Bible. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says... Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. He said that twice. Pay attention to that. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who were disobedient. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Let us pray. O Lord, thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For it is in the name of your Son, our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Even though they followed Jesus as the Messiah, the people of the book of Hebrews were inheritors of the history and the legacy of the Jewish people. They were steeped in the stories of Abraham, Moses, and David, of Exodus, of the wilderness, of the settlement of Canaan, of the kingdom, and of the exile. Now, I often sadly hear people say, you know what, I am a New Testament Christian. I don't need the Old Testament. But you know what? There is no such thing as a New Testament Christian without the Old Testament. St. Augustine said that in the Old, the New is concealed, and in the New, the Old is revealed. To understand the New Testament, we need to understand the Old, especially this passage today. It's been often said so often that it's a cliche by but writer and philosopher George Santayana is famous for the oft-repeated line that those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Well, in our passage for today, the author of Hebrews is giving us a cautionary tale from Hebrew history, from the history of Israel. And he's using the, the words of the Old Testament to say, we don't want to make the same mistakes our ancestors did. This was the problem of the Israelites. After 400 years in Egypt, much of that in slavery, the hope of the people was freedom and self-determination in their own land. 
In the Exodus, God gave them freedom from slavery and promised to return them to the promised land of Abraham. He promised to take them home. But you know what? Things didn't work out smoothly. This trip from Egypt to the Holy Land was like a long car trip. Are we there yet? Can we go back home? Billy's touching me. I'm hungry. Can't we stop? They got out of Egypt, but then they got scared. Because even though they were free, they'd left everything familiar behind. And on the way to the promised land, the people became fearful. And that fear led to doubt, not only in Moses, but also in God. And the people rebelled first in petty ways and then in huge ways, including idolatry, perversion, and even possibly the blasphemy of child sacrifice. The people were scared. They were tired. They were uncomfortable. And in their discomfort, they gave in to complaining. They gave in to greed. They gave in to a variety of other sins. They complained, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? At least in Egypt, we had food. Did you bring us out here to die in the desert? And then even when they got to the promised land, their nerve failed them, their faith in God failed them, and they chickened out. The whole land was laid before them and they chickened out. And because they rebelled against God, and because they did not trust him, the generation that left Egypt with Moses forfeited the promise of life in the promised land. Look at verses 16 through 19. They allowed the problems to overshadow the promise, and they turned on God. They abandoned him. They gave up on him. After everything that he had shown them and did for them, all because they didn't get it the way they wanted it. And so for deserting God, they deserved the death penalty. But instead, God spared them their lives and gave them a life sentence of exile, wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. When we have to understand that this wandering in the wilderness, they didn't get lost. This was not just a delay. It was a reset. God decided he was going to start over with a new generation. So this is the cautionary tale from Israelite history. And the author of Hebrews is making the case that there is a parallel problem for us. You see, Mark Twain once wrote that history does not always repeat, but it does often rhyme. And here's what he's saying, that the details of their situation were different, but the problem is similar. The brothers and sisters to whom he was speaking were suffering for their faith. They were tired, they were scared, they were uncomfortable, they were becoming bitter. And they were asking, is it really worth it? Are we really better off following Jesus, just like the people of the Exodus were saying? Are we really better off following Moses? Do we dare bet our lives on this guy? And here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. In other words, he doesn't want them to make the same mistake their ancestors made. 
And the author of Hebrews doesn't want us to make the same mistake that the Israelites made in the wilderness either. When they got tired, when they got anxious, when they got fearful, when they became uncomfortable. He doesn't want us to make that same mistake. And so he gives us two imperatives to consider whenever we are pushed to our limits in our own wilderness moments. Two imperatives. The first imperative, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts and make the mistakes of the past. Listen to verse 3.12. It says, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Now listen to that word heart. When the Bible talks about the heart, nine times out of ten, it's not talking about that blood-pumping muscle in the middle of your chest. But rather... It's talking about the intellectual and emotional driver of our lives that we call the will. And having a hard heart means that somehow our will has turned against God. And it has become dug in at that point. And he's saying that we have to be careful that we do not have a will, that you do not have a will that has turned on and dug in against God. And this word hardening, this word hardening has a sense of stubbornness about it. You know, I don't trust God because there's nothing he can do about it. It's a heart that is pridefully, stubbornly, bitterly untrusting of God. So ask yourself this, what is it that hardens a heart to God and his promises? What's hardened your heart to God's promises today? What makes people bitter and dug in against God? Well, there's guilt, the belief that I'm so bad that God could never love me, or just disappointment, God doesn't seem to care, brokenness and pain, you, can't just see, you just can't see past your hurt, can't feel anything but your wounds, or anger, being angry that you know, while, I, while I was hurting, God was nowhere to be found, he was nowhere around while I was in trouble, or maybe our hearts are hard just because of distraction. I've just got too much stuff to deal with. Or maybe it's pride that hardens us. I don't need God. I know better. I can do it all by myself. Or rebellion. God's not the boss of me. I'm the boss of me. Or maybe it's just fear that hardens our hearts. When your friends turn their backs on you, and the people you used to do business with won't do business with, with you. Or the soldiers come knocking at your door. Or when, the, when someone you love gets sick. Or you really do begin to believe that no one, not even God, can help. Who or what makes you bitter? Who or what makes your heart hard against God? Who makes you dig in against God and not trust him? So his first warning, his first imperative is don't harden your hearts and make the mistakes of the past. But the second imperative is this. Today, if you hear his voice, exhort one another. Today, if you hear his voice, exhort one another. The word parakaleo means to exhort. It means to encourage but it means it like this. It means to, 
talk to. And to talk to somebody earnestly, to plead, to beg, to really get in there. This is not just an admonition to say, oh, well, if somebody's having a problem, just say something to them. This is an exhortation to exhort them by saying something, but really telling them, taking it seriously. This is the real stuff of life. It's to remind one another about God's faithfulness in the past as his proof for the present and the future. Exhort one another. If the first imperative, not to let our hearts get hard, is a personal command to the person who's beginning to lose faith, this second imperative is one for the rest of us. This is one about watching out for one another when other people start losing faith. So it's not just about me losing my faith. It's about keeping an eye out for other people who might be losing their faith. You know, what's fascinating is that if we read carefully the letters and the stories of the early church found in the New Testament, from Matthew to Revelation, we will hear two words over and over again. Those two words are one another. I call it the gospel of one another. What is the gospel of one another? It comes up in passages like this. Love one another just as I have loved you. You also ought to love one another, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do not lie to one another. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. As a matter of fact, the words one another appear 101 times in the New Testament, over 70 times just in the gospels telling us about how we are to live with one another and treat one another as brothers and sisters in christ and so we are called to be together to live and love one another as the body of christ and what does that mean well for those of you who are interested in the super bowl today that means that faith is a team sport it's not an individual sport I find it fascinating that when the Apostle Paul describes the full armor of God in Ephesians chapter 16, he likens faith to a shield, but not the kind of shield that you hold up just to protect yourself, a small buckler or a small round shield, something like that, but the shield of a Roman legionary, one of those big rectangle shields that could be set next to another shield and overlap and lock together to create a shield wall. Lock together to form and protect one another. To protect one another from incoming projectiles or to hold the weight of an enemy charge. The idea was that this shield wall is stronger than any one shield could ever possibly be. The wall is much greater than the sum of its parts. And we're there to support one another. And if the wall breaks, then we can close in and support one another and we can help you because we're all in this together. That's how faith works. And we close the gaps by going back to the beginning of our faith, what the author calls our original confidence. So what do we say to people who are discouraged and tired and scared and uncomfortable? What do we say to people who don't trust God because their hearts are hard? We encourage them with the good news. 
Verse 14 says this, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Here's what that means. Just as the people of Israel had all the evidence they needed to trust God with their lives, to give them their freedom, to deliver them to the promised land. I mean, they had plagues, the Red Sea, miracles, manna, um, the, the Sinai covenant, all of these miracles on which they could to which they could refer and upon which they could rely. In the same way they had all of those signs and wonders, so we have proof that God loves us and that he has the power to make a difference in our lives. What is that proof? It is the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. By giving his life on the cross, Jesus had proven that he cares and that he loves us. By raising Jesus Christ from the dead, God has proven that he has the power to make a difference in our lives now and forever. That is our original confidence. That's where we begin. That is square one. And what he means is that we have to hold on to what we have believed from the beginning. And when we start to doubt that, we need to encourage one another with that. Our original confidence is in Jesus, who is the one who upholds the universe by the, by the word of his power, and yet endured death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone else. Our original confidence is that Jesus Christ is the greatest of all time, that he is worth our trust. And he is worth betting our lives on. So what draws us together is our fear-dispelling, life-changing, soul-stirring, heart-pounding, mind-satisfying conviction that God is real, that he loves us as his own children, and that he really does have the power to make a difference in our lives. And I want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this. The author of Hebrews says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Don't harden your hearts. The first mistake that we can make that leads to hundreds of other mistakes is to stop listening. The first step to hardening your heart is to stop listening to the people who love you and to cut yourself off from them, but most of all, to stop listening to the one who loves you the most. To stop listening to your heavenly Father. One of the fastest ways, fastest ways to a hard heart is isolation. I mean, have you ever heard this? I don't trust God, and I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear that God loves me. I don't want to hear that you love me. I don't want to hear that you care. I don't want to hear that God has a plan for me or that he can make a difference in my life. I don't want to hear it. I don't trust God. I don't trust you Christians. I don't want to hear it. You know, we start to develop a hard heart when we stop listening. Do you know anybody like that? Doubt, fear, and anxiety have taken over. Those things are always greater when we're alone. Temptations start to look really good when we're by ourselves. It's easy to rationalize our appetites when no one else is around or you don't think that anyone else is watching or that no one else will be affected. It's easy to believe that you have no role or purpose or value when no one's challenging you to reach higher. And it's easy to believe that God doesn't exist or that he's abandoned you when you think you're all alone trying to handle everything by yourself. 
That's why the author of Hebrews says, exhort one another every day. We have to speak words of encouragement, accountability, hope, endurance, strength. And we have to speak words of truth. We need to encourage one another to hold on to the truth that our God is real, that he knows us, that he loves us, that he holds us, that he has a future for us. And when that truth is attacked, when we are tempted or stumble or when doubt or pain or fear overwhelms, when we waver, the passage says that we need to remember that our God is faithful because our God is the God who keeps his promises. And he says, if you see somebody failing, if you see somebody falling, encourage them today. Don't wait until tomorrow. Here's another good big divide. Jerry Seinfeld once said that, you know, if, if a woman says, I'll call you, she means that day. If a man says, I'll call you, he means before he dies. <laughs> Don't wait for that. The author of Hebrews says, do it today. This is not what you should have done yesterday. It's not wait for tomorrow. Do it today. We need one another today. We need to exhort one another today. Don't Wait for that come before winter. Ever heard that line before? So let me ask you this. What are the mistakes of your past that you want to avoid making again? What is the wilderness that may be making you a little bit bitter or hardening your heart right now that's challenging your faith in God? How's it hardening you? And who are the people that you are helping by, exhort, by exhortation, and who are the people who are exhorting you? Let me tell you this. The best way to avoid repeating the problems of the past is to have people in your present. Do not get isolated and do not allow others to be isolated. We need to watch out for one another. You know, when we took our daughter for her college freshman orientation, at one of the presentations, the dean told those freshman students, my daughter included, something that moved me and every other parent to tears. Okay, at least it moved me to tears. Here's what she said to those students. She said, when things get hard and suddenly you realize that you're a long way from home and you're not in high school anymore and you start to doubt whether you should be here at all, remember these three things. You belong here. You are not here by mistake. Remember that it's going to be hard. No one said it's going to be easy. You're going to have to stay connected, work hard, and do your part. But remember also that we are on your team. We want you to succeed. Beloved, if you are here this morning wondering if you are in the right place, I want to exhort you and bless you with these words. That you belong here. God did not bring you here by accident this morning. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He has a position for you on his team and a place for you at his table. You need him and we need you. I want you to remember to do your part. Don't harden your heart. Do not stand back. Do not wait. Get involved. Relationships require investment. And so give yourselves to these relationships. Give your time and your love and your trust and your patience. And remember this, that we are on your team. We don't want you to fail. We want to help you grow because we want you to know the love and the joy and the sense of purpose and the power that can come only from being a part of God's
kingdom community. We need to encourage one another to hold on to the truth, to hold on to that hope, and to know that God is real. And when we waver, this passage says that we need to remember that our God is faithful, that he keeps his promises, and we need to remind one another of this. So I'll leave you with this question. Who is watching out for you? And who are you watching out for? Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, you have called us together as a covenant community. You call us into this, into this moment because you have revealed to us your truth, your power to make a difference in our lives now and forever, and your true love for us expressly, your son, Jesus Christ. But you've brought us together so that we can support one another, so that we can exhort one another, so that we can uphold one another and encourage one another, so that when our hearts begin to harden, they will soften because of the love expressed through your people. Lord, help us to come alongside one another, to uphold one another, and to share the joy and truth that we have found. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.